Episode 137 of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast takes us back to the hockey rink for one final weekend of ice hockey. We'll talk about the upcoming second annual Post-Ohio District Tournament happening at South Metro. Also at SMS, it will be the 2020 Buckeye Year-End Tournament B Division Bracket and also state playoffs in the Columbus District. Plus, what will the 2020 Dragons team look like? Preview of that here and a segment of Malin's Mailbag on episode 137 of the Cincinnati Dayton Sports Podcast. Welcome to the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast with Lee W. Mowen. This is a weekly podcast dedicated to sports happening in the Cincinnati and Dayton, Ohio region. Visit theleewmowen.com slash podcasts to listen on your favorite platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, and more. Follow the host on Twitter at the Lee W. Mowen, and the podcast at Cindy Pod. Opening theme is Arpy by Dan Hennig from the YouTube Music Library Collection. Now for your host, Lee W. Mowen. Not every episode we get questions for this podcast, but when we do, we say... It's time for Mowen's Mailbag, the segment where you can ask questions and interact with the podcast. Send in your future questions on Twitter at CindyPod or the Lee W. Mowen, on the Facebook page, the Cincinnati Dayton Sports Podcast, or through the Flick Chat app by searching the local Cindy Sports Group. Theme music is from Music Radio Creative at musicradiocreative.com. That's right. It's Mowen's Mailbag Time. I asked on social media, on Twitter and Facebook, for some questions and Instagram this time around. Actually, that's where the majority of the questions came in. I want to thank the three folks that did offer questions. Kind of disappointed I didn't get any on Twitter, even though I asked in the groups, hey, don't retweet or like this, just, you know, drop some questions in. Not a single one. So, huzzah. But we did get a couple, and we'll start off with the lone Facebook comment. And this is from our good friend Travco. Do you think the Reds are done making moves? And if so, do you think they have made enough of them to compete for the Central? That's the NL Central, of course. And my gut's telling me no. I think the Reds are far from done. I still think that bullpen could be touched up a bit. Of course, spring training is mainly used to determine who's playing where. If you're going to be with Cincinnati with a bullpen role, maybe you'll be in the farm system, who knows. But I just don't think the Reds are finished making moves, and I actually like saying that because I feel like there's still parts of this team that can be improved upon. That said, compete for the NL Central? You bet. I still worry about the St. Louis Cardinals. They're good organization, good farm squad. Chicago Cubs, not as much as years past, but still a threat. I think first year Pittsburgh without Barnes, Clint Barnes. That's going to be weird to see how 
the Pirates change from last year to this year, of course. Brewers, they still have a couple lethal pieces. I think they'll make some noise. But I really think if the Reds want to compete this year, it's going to be the year. I think someone predicted on Twitter, I think it was Clay Reds that predicted this on Twitter, somewhere in the ballpark of 85 wins. To me, I feel 90 is fair. I think 90 is a good benchmark and no worse than a wild card spot. That's what I see the Reds doing this year. So I don't think the Reds are finished making moves, but from what they have done in this offseason, I'm quite excited to see and hear what the Reds have in store for 2020. Now we move on to the two Instagram questions. I want to thank both these folks, also Travco, for sending in the question on Facebook. We'll start off with Troy High School Hockey. Of course, the Troy Trojans of the Southwest Ohio High School Hockey League. Good folks up there. Hobart Arena, historic Hobart Arena, under first-year head coach Rick Sabo. So I want to thank the team for sending me this question. As winter high school sports season nears the end, who outdid your expectations in all sports? Well, definitely, you know, for hockey, I think Sycamore did a fantastic job this year. Not a deep bench by any means, but they got good pieces there. And in fact, they're going to be part of the 2020 second annual uh, pod tournament, which is post-Ohio district tournament just called the pod because it's easier to say but yeah i think sycamore did quite well this year mason uh, mason comets hockey a big up step from last season i think the troy trojans have a a good future ahead of them bright future even i know this year might not have been the greatest of years but it's not always about wins losses and ties it's about, you know, setting the foundation and building a program. So, uh, Talawanda, I would say, because I knew they were good. Talawanda's been good for a couple years now. But this good to rampage through the league like this? I don't know if I would have called that. I I honestly thought it was going to be Beaver Creek or Alter for first place with Talawanda not that far behind. But I honestly think Talawanda exceeded my expectations so definitely that uh beaver creek i will have to add them into the mix as well and you lost your leading goal scorer as he moved up to michigan and i thought that was going to hurt the beavers no <laughs> they they might have even picked up a step in strength i mean that's a hard-working group alter their depth um a six and four conference record that's one game over 500 but at the same time when you have two games against Beaver Creek and Talawanda, your second and first place teams, I mean, Alter's done well as well. I mean, Centerville, that's the main team I broadcast for. Those kids never gave up, never stopped battling throughout the year. And they're part of the pod, which makes me excited because I get one more chance to see the five seniors. Those are, uh, most of them are seniors that I saw my first year broadcasting Centerville hockey. So that, that's a little bit of a sad note there. That's almost all the swashel. <laughs> I know, I know it sounds my expectations aren't high, but I, I try to see more positives out of everything. In the capital, mm, I think St. X is an honorable mention on that. I mean, I wasn't sure how the Bombers would fare, and I didn't think, you know, 
this was the year they're going to lose a lot more. I mean, this year they have 12 seniors. Last year they had a bunch too, including their uh, starting goalie in Bailey Hammonds. But they handled their own. They won the consolation championship and just two points away from playing in the championship bracket of the Blue Jackets Cup. So definitely hats off to St. X. Moeller under first year Brad Gibson. I know a lot of injuries, but I think the Crusaders did well. Springboro, they battled throughout. They had a lot of uh, tough teams. Red Division is tough for anyone, even the Red Division teams. That's, you know, if you go through that unscathed, like Upper Arlington did, by unscathed, I mean with, you know, you know, you do well. I mean, you have a good chance of running through to the Final Four in the state tournament, which we'll talk about later. Basketball, wrestling, I wish I had more to talk about. I mean, this year I got zero basketball broadcast, which made me sad. Um, Hopefully that changes for next year. I don't know who I'd be part of. Wrestling, I only get to see the sport once a year when I do the Greater Miami Valley Wrestling Association Holiday Tournament. So, I I think girls wrestling blooming and having... Close to 90 teams in the first state tournament. I think that's expanding expectations, which is really cool. Although I did see someone that uh, up in Sydney, uh, there was a state title winner. And I don't have the article up in front of me, but I forget what the quote was. It was something was like, you know, they said wrestling's a boys only sport. Times are changing and girls can wrestle too. My big thing is, if men and women work together and realize themselves as equals, we'll get a lot more done on this planet before our time's up. But that's just me. That's just my look. You don't have to agree with it, of course. But and college basketball. How about the Dayton Flyers, Wright State Raiders? Uh, men's basketball for Wright State. Absolutely, you know, kicking the other teams to the curb. Do have a tough game at Northern Kentucky uh, later tonight. But if the Raiders win that game... And that means the regular season championship belongs solely to Wright State, which would be cool. If Norfolk Kentucky wins, then it means the Raiders and Norse have to share that title again. And actually, don't know if Wright State would lose the number one seed if they lost at Norfolk Kentucky. Norse have won two of the last three at uh, BB&T, by the way. Dayton Flyers ranked number four, the men's basketball team. What's their current winning streak? I think I've lost count, but it's what, 26-2 and and undefeated in A-10 play? Do have a tough Davidson College Wildcats team coming in this weekend, and Dick Vitale's supposed to be on the broadcast. And actually, uh, during the women's basketball game, uh, the crew on press row were talking about it, where Dick Vitale, the head coach of the Detroit Titans, came into Dayton and won by two in a very good Dayton squad, so... Definitely a lot of history there, but I think Dick Vitale's very excited to see Flyers. Uh, women's basketball, dominant in the A-10, as always. Did suffer their first loss in 15 tries as they fell at Fordham, but came back and took care of a St. Bonaventure team this Wednesday. And now heading to St. Louis to close out the regular season, and the A-10 tournament will start off at campus sites and then quarterfinals and semifinals and championship head to UD Arena, so that'll be fun to see. I'm trying to think what else has exceeded my expectations. There's, um, there's a lot to cover in winter. You see basketball, uh, hockey, of course. Uh, there's indoor soccer, which 
I wish I covered a little bit more, but this episode, uh, this episode is going to be kind of short again, so I do apologize about that, but, you know, try to fit a podcast in with family time, work, and everything, it's, it's not easy, but I think that covered most of that, and again, I'm sorry I don't really have a high school basketball answer, it's just, I didn't get to see any of this year. I know I follow along with Tony Peters and Seth Keim of Southwest Ohio Four Card Press. They do a great job following along and have that episode talking about flying to the hoop in the Midwest King Classic, but no, I just follow along. I mean, Moeller, not really outdoing expectations. They're solid as ever, but there you go. And that was from Troy High School Hockey, and one is from a Troy Trojan and Gavin Burris. I'm not sure how serious this question is, but what do I need to improve on? What you need to improve on is when you, you know, take on Centerville or I'm broadcasting a game, come up and say hi. And uh, it's really my answer. My big thing is I'm not a coach. I don't claim to be a coach. I, I'm a guy that talks on a mic and I tell you what's happening on the ice. Or this summer on the uh, baseball diamond, which I can't wait for. I guess going back to the previous question, I outdid myself because I'm back in baseball for the first time in a few years. But my big advice is listen to your coaches. Make sure you know you listen to the people that you look up to and give you good advice. And big thing is coaches. Because coaches, I mean, coaches aren't infallible, of course, but they, you know, they've seen things and they want the best for you, so... And definitely, Gavin, you got a good coaching staff up at Troy High School with hockey. Rick Zabo, Carl Mick, and J.D. Sabo. Which I was a little sad not to see J.T., my uh, boss with the Troy Bruins, uh, AAHL team, uh, down here as much. But, hey, stuff happens, I understand. But, yeah, definitely one thing you need to work on, you know, whenever you're at South Metro and I'm broadcasting or, you know, I'm with the Elks or something, come up, say hi. So. I don't bite, I promise. But, yeah, listen to your coaches on that one. I think Gavin, his first year with Detroit Trojans, great skater, and was the second-line uh, center, which Trojans didn't have a deep bench either, so, you know, that was about two lines. But I think Gavin did exceptionally well behind that line, so... Uh, definitely a big shout out to the Trojans for giving me two out of three Malin's mailbag questions. Thank you, folks. Also, I saw when they were getting ready for the state playoff game, uh, ice hockey playoff game, those that they were watching the Springboro Dublin Sciota game, which is really cool. So glad I can help there. But that will conclude Malin's mailbag in the first segment of episode 137 of the Cincinnati Dayton Sports Podcast. Stick around for part two as we'll cover more hockey and what the 2020 Dragons team could look like. Which, uh, seeing the preview, normally the Dragons release it in stages. You have, you know, second baseman, first baseman, shortstops, third base, pitchers, of course, starting and bullpen, catchers, outfields, normally one category. This year it's just all one thing, which is really nice. So we'll talk a little bit about that at the end. Uh, hockey playoffs, of course. We're moving on to the second weekend in the playoffs. Of course, the Post-Ohio District Tournament's coming up and a B-District Tournament of the Buckeye Year-End Tourney. 
That'll be happening here at South Metro this weekend, and we'll talk more about that. Here on episode 137 of the Cincinnati Dayton Sports Podcast, we'll continue after this quick timeout. Hey listeners, did you know that you can buy gear supporting the local Sunday Sports Podcast? Visit theleewmallon.com slash podcast, then click on Buy Podcast Merchandise, made by Public. You can get shirts, hoodies, mugs, phone cases, and even stickers. Check out the local Sunday Sports gear by Public. Really quick, before we start with the ice hockey talk, there was something else I wanted to add to Malin's mailbag. Which, by the way, I would like to have Malin's mailbag each and every episode. So any questions you want to ask, feel free to send them on social media. If you know my cell phone number, text them, I guess. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, I don't care. Send in some questions, and I'd like to answer them. But there's a tweet out there, and I won't say who. Because, you know, I don't want to start a big fight about it. Except I do, because I'm talking about it, but, you know, there you go. The tweet says, For all the Wright State Raiders that root on for the University of Dayton Flyers should have to pay the same loan rates if they attended UD. It's not exactly word for word, but you get my jest that, you know, if you're at Wright State and you're rooting for Dayton, then you have to pay... The same rate that UD does, tuition-wise, which I can tell you, that's why I picked Wright State, because it was cheaper, and I'm still, you know, 12 feet below surface and depth. But we're not talking about that. So, let me ask this. Why is that not okay, but it's perfectly okay for Wright State students to root for Ohio State? Because it's in our state capital! It's the biggest football team in town! It's not in town! Yeah, I don't get it. I mean, it's fine to root for Ohio State football, but something that's happening in your backyard that's bad? Yes, I, I'm... I wish UD and Wright State would play in everything. Not just basketball, but everything. Now it's softball, golf, tennis. I think that's it. But, yeah, I mean, why, why is that bad? You're celebrating what's happening in your backyard. This coming from a guy that follows Wright State sports to a T. It helps that I work for both Wright State and UD, so you know. But no, that just it made me sort of upset. Like, it's okay to root for Ohio State football, but it's not okay... Yeah. Hypocritical. That's what I say about that. Again, not saying who sent it, and I really wanted to tweet it back, but I didn't want to get in a big fight. I guess that's just the passive aggressiveness in me. Hey, let's talk about hockey and stuff and that will make me less red under the collar. Like I mentioned, the second weekend of the playoffs are happening starting tonight. Actually, looks like most of those games starting tomorrow. I'm sure there's playoff games starting tonight in the other three districts, but we're hanging out in the Columbus district. There's one team still left in the Cincinnati Dane area, and that's Talawanda, the ninth seed overall. The Brave defeated the Springboro Panthers for the second time out of three tries this year, 5-3, to three, to get the playoffs started, and then took down a very tough Thomas Worthington squad, 5-2. to two. And the reward for Talawanda's hard efforts and two good wins? Number one, Upper Arlington, a team that dismantled Dublin Sciota, 16 to nothing. Yes, I said 16 to nothing, not 6, not 1.6. 
Yeah, I want to see the six-tenth of the goal go out on the scoreboard, please. No, 16 nothing. That That's the Golden Bears against number 22, Dublin Sayota. So yeah, tough task up for Talawanda. It's possible that the Brave pull up the upset, but the way Upper Arlington's been rolling this year, I still think the Golden Bears have a very good shot making to making it to the state final contest at Nationwide. And that'd be pretty cool for Upper Arlington, because their home is the Ice House, which is on the side of Nationwide, and to play for the state title at Nationwide. The big ice. So... Definitely, I'd like to see that happening. Let's cover the first weekend of playoffs, shall we? We'll start off with Dublin Sayota edging out number 23, Troy, 8-7. I mentioned Talawanda defeating Springboro, 5-3. Beaver Creek fell to Thomas Worthington, 5-1. Cardinals win. You have Dublin Kaufman, the 14th seed, shutting out Archbishop Alter, 3-0. Olin Tangi fell short to Bishop Watterson, 6-4. Sang next defeated Elder 11-1 in the Battle of Cincinnati in the Columbus District. Columbus Academy defeated Sycamore 7-4. I thought that was 8-4. I'm not sure. Maybe I'm thinking of the next game. Gehanna Lincoln 8, Centerville 4. And to close out the first round, Archbishop Moeller 12, St. Francis de Sales 0. Moving on to the next round of things. This will be the second game of the first weekend of the playoffs. Upper Arlington 16, Dublin Sayota 0. Like I previously mentioned, Talawanda defeated Thomas Worthington 5-2. Dublin Jerome, the number 5 seed in the bracket. And someone asked me on my article on OhioHockeyDigest.com why I didn't pick the Celtics as my dark horse of the tournament. I did not predict that they would fall in the first game to Dublin Kaufman 5-1. That is number 14 upsetting number 5. And that's the only upset in the bracket. Spoilers. New Albany, the fourth seed, flew high over their Eagle counterparts in Bishop Watterson, 11-1. Olentangy Orange ended the season at St. Xavier, 7-1. St. Charles, 8. Columbus Academy, 3. Olentangy Liberty, 10. Gehanna Lincoln, 0. And an overtime affair, Olentangy Berlin, 4. Archbishop Muller, 3. And that's in one overtime. The number they used for the 4 for Olentanger Berlin's side looks like a cross between a 7 and a 4, so that's uh, that's great. And your second week of the playoffs looked like this. We'll go day, time, and where. This is at the Ice House at Nationwide Arena, the home of the Golden Bears, as number 1 Upper Arlington gets number 9 Talawanda on the 29th Saturday at 2. Winner of that game will play March 1st at 4, Sunday at the Chiller North. Against the winner of Dublin Kaufman, New Albany, that game is right after Upper Arlington, Talawanda, the Ice House at 4 tomorrow, Saturday. And on the bottom side of the brackets for the quarterfinals, Olin Tangy Orange, number 6, gets number 2, St. Charles. That's at the Ice House Nationwide Arena at 6, Saturday. And Saturday night, to round out that side of the bracket, Olin Tangy Liberty, the number 3 seed, against number 7, Olin Tangy Berlin. Now, this one is the one I'm probably going to be focusing on the most because I picked Olin Tangy Berlin be the dark horse of the Columbus District because they had a very good hot streak. They're a very good team. The question is, can the Bears overcome the Patriots of Olin Tangy Liberty? I don't know. Olin Tangy Liberty's got themselves a heck of a team, as does Berlin, but Liberty has been the strongest hockey team out of the Olin Tangy School District the past few years. With no disrespect to Olentangy Classic and Olentangy Orange. Those are two very good squads. Rough year for Olentangy this year. Orange rolling along. Like I mentioned, they got St. Charles before the Liberty Berlin game. 
Uh, if the Bears can get past the Patriots, what's stopping them? Probably Upper Arlington, unless there's an upset that happens, but that's why they're called upsets, because, you know, you pick the highest-seeded teams, or lowest-seeded teams, I guess, then, you know, you don't have upsets. If you don't have an iPhone, you don't have an iPhone. I figured you all wanted to know that. But yeah, Olin Tangier Berlin, if they can get past Liberty, I think they can give St. Charles, if they beat Tangier Orange, a run for their money. And Upper Arlington, I think that'd be a heck of a game. But that's my pick right now. I still have Upper Arlington winning the Columbus District, just because you don't go, what is it, 36-0-1 in 37 games for that reason. That's that's my pick, Upper Arlington. I still think Talawanda's got a shot. I mean, you have to pretty much play clean, perfect hockey, maybe even beyond perfect. But the Talawanda squad, like I mentioned, it's been a team that you know, expanded my out- expectations. I said outstanding my expectations. That's a good phrase. So what happens after? Oh, by the way, the winner of Olin Tangier Orange St. Charles and Liberty Berlin, they'll play March 1st, Sunday at 6.15 at the Chiller North. And what happens on the third weekend of the playoffs? Well, they're back at Nationwide Arena's Ice House on March 7th at 2. And the winner of that game plays in the state tournament March 14th, 15th at Nationwide Arena. And that wraps up the sport in Ohio. So definitely, definitely still a lot of hockey to be followed. I'm going to keep my eye out. Uh, My best weapon to follow along Columbus area hockey. If you follow CHC underscore hockey, they have a list of all the varsity teams. That's why I have. And Twitter on mobile, I don't know if it's because I'm part of the uh, beta program or not. If you go on Twitter and you go on your home timeline, you can pick your favorite list that you're a part of and you can read through the read through the tweets like that. And I think that's one of the greatest things that uh, Twitter has done. Which, by the way, I, that does bring up another point that I'd like to cover before we get to the pod. The Senior All-Star Game rosters were announced and I'd like to go through the south portion, not the west portion, this concludes, this includes Toledo and Finley and Cincinnati Dayton. I want to include the Sunday kids on here. If there's a couple of Columbus uh, kids that have played, I'll probably mention them just because if you're in ice hockey here, avoiding Columbus teams is, you have a pretty small chance on that. Uh, you have George Bear or Thomas Worthington, he's a good goalie. You have Andrew Vidrick of Olentangy Liberty. Uh, two goalies out of the three in the Southwest team. Jack Augustine, captain of Alter. Very well-deserved honor. Uh, Nolan Kunzelman, I believe that's how you say it, of Dublin Jerome. Will Lawless of Upper Arlington. Keegan Pullins of Olentangy Liberty. Brandon Barash of New Albany. Jackson Buss of New Albany. Constantly, if I'm following the CHC varsity list, when New Albany scores, normally Barash and Bus are part of those scoring lines. Harry Hall of Finley. Yes, I know that's not Sunday, but remember when I got on SportsCenter as the top third, top three play out of ten. What was that? January the 6th? It's on my website somewhere. Yeah, the kid that scored a Michigan goal behind the line and against Springboro. He's part of this list. Matt Kish of Dublin Jerome, Tim Kramer up Arlington, 
Avery Malecki of Dublin, Jerome Will Pischel of Thomas Worthington, Noah Reedy of St. X, you have Slate Surikov of Springboro, and captain of the Troy Trojans, Zach Ulenbrock. Coaching staff, you have Zach Zenz of Talawanda, his first year with the Brave, and D, uh, J.D. Damroff of Olentangy Orange. On the other side, you have your Northeast team, which is Cleveland, Kent, that area. But, yeah, those are the Cincinnati, Dayton, Columbus kids. There was one, I don't want to sound like, you know, oh my god, he snubbed off the All-Star game. This list is a fluke. I was really hoping Riley Horan or Joe Numbers of Centerville. Uh, Goalie-wise, you know, it's tough. You have to pretty much... I'm surprised Upper, well, if I remember right, no, Upper Arlington's goalie couldn't be part of it, because, again, you have to be a senior. But, um... Joe Numbers, Riley Horan, seniors for Centerville. Horan, the captain of the Elks. I definitely thought he was worth a nod, but, you know, we might not have a lot of hockey teams, but that doesn't mean we don't have a lot of quality players on each team. So, definitely a good list. If you want to see the Southwest team battle the Northeast team, mark your calendars for Sunday, March 15th, 2020 at 9 a.m. for the 2020 Senior All-Star Game at Nationwide Arena. It is played on the same rink that Blue Jackets play on, and admission is absolutely free. What? You said free? Yes, I said free. I don't know why I did that little skit, but, uh, because you can rewind podcasts, but yeah. Definitely. It's one last hurrah for these seniors, and I'm hoping for another good Southwest win. Last year, I believe it went to OT, or possibly a shootout, and Southwest defeat Northeast 10-9. So yeah. If you want to see these seniors one last time, that's the place to do it. So now let's move on to the second annual post-Ohio District High School Hockey Tournament, or the post-OHSAA District, or the POD. In its second year of operations, the first year was at the NTPRD Chiller in Springfield. This year it comes to South Metro, which is quite nice. Yours truly will be on the call on YouTube if you'd like to join along. It's intended to provide a post-Ohio district tournament option for teams ranking in the lower half of the state, according to MyHockeyRankings.com, which, in ice hockey, there's one division. You have hockey. The second division is you don't have hockey, which is a lot of schools. According to Matt Belmonte of the Academy Hockey Club Board, we we just can't stand to see a high school senior end a career on the wrong side of a lopsided state tournament game. So we created the pod as an option for the teams to have a better end-of-season experience and for senior players, a better end-of-career experience. The games will be played here at South Metro tonight, the 29th and March the 1st. And we have six teams coming in. There are two changes from last year. Troy and the Dayton Stealth JV teams are not part of this tournament this year. Centerville and Sycamore are, which is quite nice. It starts tonight at 6.30, so by the time you're listening to this podcast, I'll probably be on the mic calling hockey. 6.30 will be Beaver Creek against Indian Hill Winter Club. 8.10 will have the Cincinnati Lancers against the Centerville Elks, which you can also say that's a change because it's not really LaSalle, it's the Cincinnati Lancers. The difference is, with LaSalle, it all had to be LaSalle kids playing ice hockey with the lack of LaSalle being on this team. means... Any Cincinnati kid around the area wants to play hockey, go play for the Lancers, and they now have the blessing of the Cincinnati Swords, or, you know, have had it for the season. And to close out our action, 940 tonight, Sycamore Altar. That would be a good battle. Uh, Saturday, 
The 29th, Centerville and Alter get things underway for the fourth time. Knights have won the previous three matchups against the Elks this season. That'll be at 11 tomorrow, 1230. Uh, Lancers against Beaver Creek, 210 Indian Hill against Sycamore. A little bit of a break, which will be filled with the B tournament of the Buckeye year-end tournament, which we'll talk about next. 5.30, Alter Lancers. 7 o'clock, Sycamore Beaver Creek. 8.40, Centerville Indian Hill. And then Sunday are your place games. 2 o'clock, 5th place. 4th place, or 3rd place game, 3.30, and the championship at 5. Like I mentioned, Beaver Creek, Indian Hill, Cincinnati Lancers, Alter, Sycamore, Centerville. And again, we'll have all that for you here on YouTube.com slash South Metro Sports, so join us there. The limits on the teams can't have more than 35 games coming in because that's the state limit. Can't have too many games. And they're already looking for 2021 information. You can find all this at academyhockeyclub.com. And the second tournament happening at South Metro this weekend, it's the B division of the Buckeye Year-End Tournament, which we'll talk a little bit about the A tournament. I know I didn't mention in the previews, but we'll talk about those 22 games in three days. There are six games in the B tournament, and here at South Metro we'll have 12UB3, which includes a lot of local teams. We have two Dayton Stealth squads, a Troy Bruins squad, a Northern Kentucky North squad, and a Cincinnati Sword squad. That starts off tomorrow morning, 7.20, bright and early. We have Jones's Troy Bruins against Taylor's Dayton Stealth. The second game will be Class's Dayton Stealth against Gregoric 6, Northern Kentucky North. Not exactly sure how to pronounce it, but watch the broadcast. I'll know how to say it. Whoever wins the Taylor Stealth and Jones Bruins game will take on Lindemann's Cincinnati Swords. And whoever drops the NKY Dayton Class game get to play on the bottom brackets at 3.30. That'll be the break in between the pod. Sunday, that's when we'll crown a consolation and a championship. 11.15, it'll be whoever drops Game 5, which is the Lindemann Swords and the winner of Taylor Dayton, Jones Troy. And then at 12.30, whoever wins Dayton Class. Andrew, wait a minute. Loser of Game 5. That would be whoever drops Cincinnati Swords. I'm getting all confused, but I promise it's not as hard as I'm making it sound. Whoever drops the Swords of Lindemann and the Taylor Stealth and Jones Troy game, they'll play 11:15 Sunday. 12:30 will be the winner of Dayton Class, Gorgic, Northern Kentucky, and then Lindemann Swords and winner of Game Two, and that'll be your championship 12 UB3, and that'll be at 12:30 for we. Wrap up with the pod tournament. Hard to believe that hockey's wrapping up again. And then next weekend will be A-10 women's basketball at UD Arena for the tournament. Always sad time when hockey closes down shop because normally it meant that's the end of the broadcasting year for me. And I'll talk to you again for the next hockey season. Well, this year I have baseball, so I'm very happy for that. It's always sad to have one last shift for hockey. And I definitely hope my broadcast will 
send this year off on the right foot. So definitely give that a watch. Again, youtube.com slash southmetrosports. If you subscribe, you will be updated on when we stream. And that's pretty much everything except Elks Hockey. We have a separate channel for Elks Hockey there. And lastly, moving from the hockey rink to the baseball diamond, because spring training is going on. Reds do look pretty good so far. Of course, if you're trying to if you're trying to calculate wins or if you're wanting the most wins in spring training, you're missing the point of spring training because it's not always about the wins. It's determining who's playing where in the farm system and then preparing for opening day. Which, by the way, if you didn't find out, Dayton has declared that opening day for the Cincinnati Reds is a holiday. By Dayton, I mean Dayton, Kentucky, not Dayton, Ohio. And, of course, there was a comment, you know, complaining about politics on the article I shared. That's nice. You don't know what nice means. Mayor of Dayton, Kentucky declares Reds opening day an official city hall day. That's really cool. Dayton, Kentucky is somewhere. In fact, if I remember right, that's where John Wooden started his legendary coaching career. Dayton, Kentucky. But, yeah, just off the river, not too far away from Cincinnati. This is from CityBeat.com. Ben Baker, the mayor of Dayton, Kentucky, declared opening day a citywide holiday, encouraging citizens to get out and engage in the day's festivities. The proclamation is on there, too. And the sport of baseball has been an integral part of the city of Dayton, with origins dating back to the 1850s, when riverboat captain Henry Putter introduced the game and established a baseball club by the name of the Eagles of Brooklyn, the document states. Um, Brooklyn, never mind. The proclamation continues on. Dayton is the birthplace and home to seven former Major League Baseball players, including Lee Tannehill, Jesse Tannehill, Bill Schwartz, Johnny Gonding, John Chick Smith, Bill Kissinger, and Todd Benzinger. You might recognize that name as the player that caught the last down the 1990 World Series to give the Reds their last World Series win so far. Opening day, Thursday, March 26th, the 101st opening day parade before the game against the St. Louis Cardinals. It'll be really, really fun. I'd love to go down and experience opening day, but I don't think it's in the cards. But I got my radio with me, and you better believe I'll have it, or... If I can't pick it up with the radio, I have that app on my phone. You pick up streams outside the area with it. Thank goodness for that. And of course, there's this big thing, too, in baseball. There's a lot of people teed off that Fox Sports insert your region of area here. It's no longer on YouTube TV because of the battle of contracts between Sinclair, the people that own the Fox Sports media networks now, the regions, I should say, and Google, which has YouTube. Um, Not getting into that politics-wise, it happens. I mean, I feel like every cable or satellite provider has had trouble with the people owning stations. I mean, when I was in high school, Viacom had that big blowout with, what was it, DirecTV, Dish, you know, one of them. Dish had one a couple years later. WDTM wasn't available in the area from... Spectrum, I think. But yeah, I don't like getting into politics. You might know, because 
what I said. But, hey, how about those 2020 Dayton Dragons? We probably know what the 2020 Cincinnati Reds look like, but how about the low-A team that will now call Day Air Ballpark home? That's going to get a lot taken used to, because, yeah, it's always been fifth third field from the first day and the announcement saying, hey, Dragons are coming in, or the team's coming in. Wasn't known Dragons back then. But your key dates look like this. The pitchers and catchers will report to Goodyear March the 2nd for minor league players, meaning not on the 40-man roster or a minor league invite. We'll have a chance to join the team. That'll be March 10th, so a couple days to Goodyear. And then the first spring training game will be March 18th against Lake County at Goodyear. That's Red single A and Cleveland single A. Last spring training game will be inter-squad April the 3rd before opening day at Day Air Ballpark. Again, new coaching staff. The only one that's left from last year's squad, the athletic trainer Andrew Cleves. That's it. New manager, Gookie Dawkins. New pitching coach, Brian Garman. New hitting coach, Dale Brinkley. New bench coach, Hernan Irabaran. was a player in the Reds' farm system. And Dan Donahue's your strength and, strength and conditioning coach. Not strength. That's strength. Now I can't say it. That's great. How about we not do that and come back? In case you're wondering what happened to Luis Bolivar, he's now part of the Reds as the Academy's coordinator. Frank Fister, remember him with the Dayton Dragons? I do, my first year with him. The mental skills coach, the previous Dragons manager before Luis Bolivar, Jose Nieves. He's the infield coordinator with the Reds as part of the Reds player development coordinators and roving instructors. Chris Tremies, your field coordinator. CJ Gilman, your hitting coordinator. Of course, Kyle Body, your pitching coordinator. The big hire from long, long ago. Eric Jaegers. Might be Jaggers, who knows. Assistant pitching coordinator, roving pitching instructor is Tony Fossis, who worked with the Dragons sometime. Willie Harris is your outfield and base running coordinator, and Corky Miller is your roving catching instructor. So that's what your whole staff looks like in and outside Dayton. Your catchers, Eric Yang, Luke Berryhill, James Free. Oh, by the way, this is from DaytonDragons.com, written by the voice of the Dragons, Tom Nichols. Just because it's written on this doesn't mean it's going to happen. But these are the best candidates to be part of the Dragons for 2020. So if you don't see any of these players, don't come to me and like, it's all different. Also, I sound like this. Because I don't care. Again, Eric Yang, Luke Berryhill, James Free. Highest drafted catcher by the Reds in 2019, Eric Yang, taken in the seventh round. Where also Jay Schuyler was picked the year before that. UC Santa Barbara was the home of Yang, and Yang helped his team to the Big West Conference Championship last spring and a trip to the NCAA Regionals. So, good candidate for behind-the-plate Eric Yang. It continues on, Los Angeles native, and a notable high school career at El Camino Real Charter School, as opposed to El Camino False Charter School. Christopher Knight, who played Peter in the Brady Bunch, is... Some of the famous alumni from El Camino Real Charter School. That's a nice little antidote there. Luke Berryhill spent the 2019 college season at South Carolina. That's USC, or SCAR as ESPN used to have it, before being drafted by the Reds in the 13th round. 
Last year, South Carolina struggled to a 28-20 record after years of contending for a national title and winning two in a row in 2010-2011. Burial faced the strongest level of competition that college baseball can offer, playing the SEC. You know, LSU happens to be pretty good. I think Florida's all right, too. Served as South Carolina's cleanup hitter, and TJ Hopkins, who I believe is on the outfield list for the Dragons, also drafted by the Reds, and yes, it's mentioned on here too. Barry Hill didn't sign with the Reds until just before the deadline, July 12th. He was assigned to Greenville, that's Greenville, Tennessee, the rookie team of the Reds, and played in his first professional game, July 16th. Eight games with G-Reds, batting 240 with one home run. Long layoff, well, it's coming off a long college season, so, you know, don't want to burn him out for next year. James Free, an undrafted free agent last June, after a successful three-year career at the University of the Pacific. The fact that Free was not selected in the 40-round draft was a surprise to some. He was projected by Baseball America as a player who would be taken in the first 10 rounds. So yeah, possible value there. Not drafted, although Baseball America thought that first 10 rounds he was gone. Made it through all the, tw- uh, all the 40, I should say. Free faced high-level competition in college, playing in the West Coast Conference, which includes Pepperdine, San Diego, and Loyola Marymount. In case you wonder about Dragons players coming from that uh, conference, it's Zach Vinci of Pepperdine. Jay Schuyler of San Diego had a good year last year, and Cassidy Brown, Jeff Stevens of Loyola Marymount. I don't believe either. Well, Brown, I'm not too sure of. I thought I saw he got waived, but I don't know. I don't think Jeff Stevens is anymore, though. So that's your catching core. Your first baseman, Brent Spillane. That would be his second year back with the Dragons. Rough year last year, and also an injury that ended his season just as he was starting to get hot. You ever two? Uh, Leonardo Seminati, who's 21 years of age, the youngest of the candidates for first base, and Garrett Wolfert, 22. Spillane would be the oldest at 23. So yeah, Spillane, rough start, was sent back a little bit to extend extreme training, and then came back three weeks later, batted 385 in his next 15 games since coming back from extended spring training, and also cut down strikeouts too. Problem is, that injury hit him when he was just starting to get good and hot. So, Seminati, a native of Italy, who has shown steady improvement since signing with the Reds as an international free agent, July 2017. The only Italian player who's ever played for the Dragons was Luca Panarati back in 2011. He was a bullpen pitcher that didn't appear much, said 17 games on here, which, eh, that's towards the end of the season. The same pitcher, Penarotti, gained attention in 2013 when he started a game for the Italian national team against Team USA. Tossed three scoreless innings. So Seminati could be the second Italian player, Italian-born player, to play for the Dragons. Gerd Wolford, Wolforth, excuse me, not Ford, not sure, Wolforth, drafted by the Reds 2019 out of Nova Southeastern University out of Division Two which is a Florida school that was a top-20 D2 program last spring. To spend one year there after spending the last three years at Dallas Baptist University, it was also very strong in the baseball world in D1, in the Missouri Valley Conference even. Catcher in college, but didn't see an inning behind the play in the red system last season. 
Primarily played first base with limited time in all three outfield spots and also third base. So a little flexibility there, even if the Dragons do need an emergency catcher in a pinch, there's Garrett. How about second baseman? Your three players for candidates. Tyler Callahan, who would be coming in at the old age of 19. Jonathan Willems and Caleb Van Blake. If you know your Dragons team, Willems was here last year, and he was starting to turn around before being sent back to extended spring training and never coming back up, because I think he went to is it Billings or Greenville. He was one of the rookie teams. So like I mentioned, Willems would be another returning Dragon, but first, how about Tyler Callahan, one of the top infield prospects in the Reds organization, and if he opens up the 2020 season with Dayton, probably be identified by scouting consensus as the top prospect on the Dayton roster. Again, 19 years of age, less than a year removed from Providence High School in Jacksonville, Florida. And the Reds will determine if Callahan's ready for what could be brutal Midwest League pitching. By brutal, I mean good for pitching, not on the other side. Your most hitting-friendly side would be the Florida State League, which is Advanced Day Daytona, Dayton with an extra A. But um, the jump from rookie ball to ex- and expanded string training over to the Dragons, not easy. I mean, look back at Jose Siri, who happened to crush a home run against the Reds in his first game with the Mariners against his former team. <clears throat> but it took him a year to, you know, hit 150 in his first year in the Midwest League, then sent back down, never came back up. His second year, just right through and broke a record that stood since the 70s in straight games with hits. So, if the Reds feel like Callahan's ready for Midwest League, he'll be the top prospect available to the Dragons. Jonathan Willems, he was the opening day second baseman last year, made with a club into mid-May before being sent back to extended string training and then went to Billings. I wasn't sure if he went to Greenville Billings, but there you go. He went to Montana. He'd be an option date in 2020 if Callahan opens the year in spring training or settles at third base instead of second. So Willems is an option. Could be another bat behind Callahan. Latest name in the growing list of Dragons players from the Caribbean island of Caraco. Caraco. Caraco? What am I thinking Caraco for? I don't know. Coacao, previous Dragons from the same location. Didi Gregorius, he did some work with the Yankees. Calton Dow and Hedrick Clementina. Williams played 33 games of the first 39 games for Dayton, but never could get right on track at the plate. His batting average peaked at 239 on April 27th. And then when the Reds sent him down to bring up Brian Ray, who did some good work with the Dragons last year, who I believe. Daytona or single-A Chattanooga for Ray. His batting average, Williams, dipped down to 214. Got sent a good year for a month, then part of the Mustangs rookie league team. Merch is one of the best hitters in the Billings lineup after being sent down. Started 52 of the 76 games at second base, plus all three of the playoff games. Led the Mustangs in batting at an even 300 with no home runs. Williams can get back and hit Midwest League pitching. It'll be a good option at second base. And also there's Caleb Van Blake. 
from the University of California, Davis, or UC Davis. Big West Conference, where his team was a rival to catching prospect Eric Yang at UC Santa Barbara. Van Blake played four years at UC Davis, earning the majority of his team starts by his sophomore year, then playing full-time as a junior and senior. So, there you go. Good experience there. Last year, dominating the Arizona League affiliate in Goodyear as one of the older players in the league, hitting 341 in 32 games with six home runs to tie for the team lead. When the AZL season ended, he briefly went to Greenville, where he went 3 of 22. So Van Blake's an option there as we move on to shortstops. Ivan Johnson, Quincy McAfee, and Claudio Fanal. Fanal is a former Dragon as well. I believe he's more towards the end of the season. The big thing about Fanal is he is going to be 19 when the season starts in Dayton. Ivan Johnson's coming out of Kennesaw Mountain High School, where former Dragon Tyler Stevenson came from. His senior year was 2015. Reds drafted Johnson the fourth round of Chipola last June, assigned to Greenville, played in 46 games, hit 255 as a switch hitter, six home runs, 11 stolen bases, and a slugging percentage at 41.5. Started 33 games at shortstop and 11 at second base. So, again, a little bit of a utility man at the middle spot of the infield. You also have Pepperdine's Quincy McAfee, beginning his freshman year in 2017. Also the same position that Zach Vinci played back in 2013 with Dayton. Prep career for McAfee's was at uh, South Lake High School, Houston, Texas, where in his senior year, hit 537. McAfee was drafted by the Reds 26th round last June and then went to Billings, helped in the playoffs, got off to a slow start, but caught fire in August and finished at 291 for a batting average. That's pretty good. First 37 games, not as hot, 214, but the rest of the way, 405 in the last 23. Start 29 games at shortstop, 20 at second base, and 6 at third base. So again, a little bit of being able to play everywhere. Just two third basemen listed here. Fanal played third last year, has a paragraph, a native of Venezuela. Sai is a free agent with the Reds in 2016. Can also play in three different infield positions. Big utility man there, and most of the time is at third base. Eight games in Billings, bad 226, and for the Dragons, bad 218, one home run. Your third baseman, or I believe that's Reese Hines, he was drafted early on, second round pick even, taken with the Reds after they picked Nick Lodolo, which last year we got to see a couple games of the left hander from TCU. Reese Hines. Might be in there. And the second one is Victor Ruiz. Was the starting third baseman for Billings. That went to the playoffs last year. Signed as a free agent with Cincinnati of Mexico three days before his 17th birthday in 2016. And he's been with the Red System for the last three years. Was a catcher coming into the organization, but then moved to third in 2019, last year. And now we move on to outfielders. There's a lot of them, so hopefully we'll keep it quick. There is... A pair of former Dragons on here, Reniel Ozuna and Mario Bautista. Bautista spent most of the season last year with the Dragons, missed four weeks at the end of the first half because of an injury. Played in 103 games, batted 233 with eight home runs and 19 stolen bases. That's coming off a monster season with Billings, where Bautista hit 330 with 
eight homers in just 56 games. According to Baseball America, entering last season as the 16th best prospect. And entering this year, he slipped nine spots to 25th best. But still strong rankings, so sky's the limit for Bautista. The hope that if Bautista does return to Dayton for a second year, big jump of performance would be an easy ticket down to Daytona. The gold standard for second-year improvement in Dayton from outfielders with great tools was established by Jose Siri a couple years back. Like I mentioned, first year, didn't do much at all in 27 games, batted 145, but that second year, yeah, you can make the argument, best improved player out of the system. But Bautista, I think he can do it. We move on to Quinn Cotton, eighth-round pick by the Reds last year after his junior year at Grand Canyon University. You know, that's an institution where you see a lot on Hulu ads, at least we do. I was like, hey, that school plays Wright State in men's soccer sometimes. I know where they're at. Well, I hope I know where they're at. They're at the Grand Canyon. Exactly in the Grand Canyon. That's where they're... Yeah, never mind. This episode's going to be a lot longer because I'm going over everything, but... Yeah, Quentin Cotton, coming out of the Western Athletic Conference. Cotton is the first to be drafted by the Reds since the Grand Canyon made the move up to D1 since 2014. Big season to Grand Canyon, back-to-back seasons 2018-2019. His sophomore year led the conference with a 390 batting average and won the Player of the Year award in the WAC. 2019, 331, second-team all-conference. His 21 doubles ranked second in the WAC and combined to hit nine home runs over the two seasons in 116 games with the Grand Canyon squad. Last year, Billings hit 283 in 61 games, four home runs, eight swipes as the leadoff hitter, and also picked as an all-star in the Pioneer League. So, could be the leadoff guy for the Dragons. Game number one. We'll see. TJ Hopkins, one year, excuse me, one year later, one round later the same year as Cotton, same draft, ninth round in 2019, and played beside Cotton in the Billings outfield. Played college baseball in the SEC at South Carolina. Another Gamecock on here with Luke Berryhill. In fact, Hopkins and Berryhill often hit back-to-back in the batting order for South Carolina. Last season, collegially, played in all 56 games for USC and led the team in numerous categories. 285 batting average, 11 home runs, 18 stolen bases, a slugging percentage near 52%, and an OPS of 882. A.J. Bumpus. This one I'm very excited about because I got to see Bumpus a couple years with the Cincinnati Bearcats. It's not every day you get to see Cincinnati Reds draft a Cincinnati Bearcat. Or it's not every day you get to see Cincinnati draft local kids from, you know, I don't know, Wright State. That would have probably helped out. Think about if Sean Murphy was a Red. He'd probably be with the big league. Well, I don't know. I mean, Barnhart, Casali, good catchers, but Man, what would that what would that do for Murphy? I think he have a really good career in Cincinnati. I was hoping to hear, you know, since Oakland and Cincinnati are playing their spring training game today, I was hoping to see Murphy behind the plate. Nope. Uh, it was Carlos Pena, if I remember right. Not the same guy from Wright State. Reds drafted Bumpus in the 39th round, the next to last round of the draft, and then sent him to Greenville when he played for Gooky Dawkins who was the manager of the G-Reds, now manager of the D-Dragons. No, that's not going to catch on. 
41 games, 250 batting average, five homers. The OPS of 805, second best on the team. Played both left and right field at Greenville, so you can see him in the corners with Dayton. Like I mentioned, I saw him with Cincinnati when the Bearcats were at Dayton. Well, was he a Bearcat when Bearcats less played at Dayton? Don't think he was. I saw Bumpus with uh, the Bearcats at Wright State, definitely. So it's really cool to see that Bumpus might be a dragon. It's like, hey, it's someone I have announced, and I remember. So that's great. And Renio Ozuna is another dragon from last year, member of the opening day roster in 2019. And remained with the club until the end of May, starting 35 games and right. Batting average, never really caught on. 157, two home runs. And then reassigned to extended spring training. When Billings opened their season, Ozuna was in the three spot in the batting order, playing right again. 62 games, batted 235, five home runs. Up in the Pioneer League, it's a hitter's paradise. Might be something with the air, the altitude up in the mountains, I don't know. But, that 235 with Billings. I hope he can make a lot of great strides with Bautista if they do come back. International free agent from the Dominican Republic, signed by the Reds 2015. Some talent, but endured some struggles last year. And definitely a solid candidate to return to Dayton. Well, look at the starting pitchers. Of course you do. There is Juan de Jesus. He would be a returning dragon. I think his record was, what, 2-14, but his ERA was really, really respectable. We'll start off with Noah Davis. All but two pitchers are 22 and under. John De Jesus and Spencer Stockton are 23 years of age. Carlos Carreno is 21. Noah Davis might be the best prospect on the list of possible Dayton starting pitchers. Ranked as the 15th best prospect with Cincinnati. Higher than such notable arms as Packy Naughton, who was the minor league pitcher of the year last year for Cincy, and AAA pitcher TJ Antone. Also added to the 40-man roster this year for Cincinnati, which means possibly red? Who knows? I won't go through a lot of this. I covered a lot of them. But, yeah, Davis, 11th round, 2018. Knowing that he missed all that season, part 2019, after... The dreaded Tommy John elbow surgery. Also teammate of potential dragon Eric Yang, who caught Davis at Billings last summer after Davis returned to the mound following his Tommy John rehab assignment. Davis himself made 30 starts at California Santa Barbara, serving as a full-time starting pitcher as a freshman and sophomore before being limited to eight innings as a junior due to, you know, Tommy John. Career record... 15-9, 4.58 15-9, ERA with UCSB. Miguel Medrano, ace of the billing staff last year, selected as the Pitcher of the Year in the, pro, uh, the Pioneer League. I almost said Prospect League. ERA of 3.13 would easily have led the league, but he finished literally two-thirds of an inning short of the minimum numbers of innings to qualify. That's kind of crappy. Medrano walked his 14 batters in 16 of third innings while striking out 66. Great ratio there. Four of his 14 starts, no runs allowed. He did not allow more than three runs in any starts. Again, 14 starts. So, yeah. It seems, you know, Drano has a very good arm. Reading through here, 
originally signed as an international free agent by the Texas Rangers, spent two years in the Texas system before being traded to Cincinnati in exchange for international spending cap space, which is normally, you know, you can throw more money towards the international pool, that type of thing. One team receives cap space from another club and gives up a minor league play in return. Reds have done that to and from. We also have Graham Ashcraft, six-round draft pick of 2019 out of University of Alabama, Birmingham. Pretty good baseball program at UAB. Apparently, Ashcraft's fastball can reach 99 miles per hour. That's some heat on that fastball. Started his college career at Mississippi State in 2017. Went through two hip surgeries, missed 2018 season, then transferred to UAB. Used as a starter and reliever last year, going 2-5 and five with a 5.63 ERA. Was part of Greenville's squad, 13 starts, 4.53 ERA, 60 strikeouts, and 54 innings. The ERA was driven up by one bad start, where he was charged with 10 earned runs. Ouch. Without that one rough performance, the ERA for Greenville would have been 2.96. Numbers, you gotta love them. We have John De Jesus. Spent most of the last year in the starting rotation, 23 starts. After missing the entire 2018 season because of an injury, Ava of the Dominican Republic, one of the best arms in the red system, but looking to tap completely into the potential. Opened up the 2019 season with the Dragons with back-to-back scoreless starts, tossed a combined 10 shutout innings while allowing just four hits, and then the rest of the way, struggled. Finished the year with a record of 213. I knew it was two and something, with a 5.08 ERA. Velocity on the fastball reached high 80s in some innings, but in others, topped out at 97. So if we can get consistency on that fastball, that'll be nice. It's possible the Reds will move De Jesus to Daytona, see if the increase in competition brings out an improved performance, or maybe come back to Dayton, work on a few things, then go up to Daytona and face tougher competition. We'll see. Carlos Carreno. As the pitcher with the best pure stuff on anyone on the list. That's some high remarks. Pitched at Billings last year. Struggled, but one element of minor league baseball. Has been consistent for decades. Potential does create opportunity. 15 starts for Billings. 5.37 ERA, 4-6 record. It did mark an improvement for Carreno over his 2018 season, which is one level lower in the AZL Reds, Arizona League Reds, where he went 2-6. and six. 6.75 ERA. We also have Spencer Stockton, was several outstanding additions from independent professional baseball by the Reds during last summer. He made seven starts, Stockton did, for the Utica Unicorns. Utica Unicorns. That's a great name. Of the United Shore Professional Baseball League, which is an entry-level independent league in the Detroit area. I guess it's not Utica, New York, where I'm thinking Utica Comets, part of the Vancouver Canucks system that I remember the urinating tree episode about the Canucks where the GM's talking, I need to contact Utah, Utica, Utica, thanks Ron you gotta see it but Stockton's 2019 season was an amazing one as he climbed from the USPBL, making his last star on June 27th against the Westside Wooly Mammoths and then became the minor league pitcher of the month in August with the Red System Coming off four strong years of college ball at Jacksonville U at the Atlantic Sun Conference. Helped his Dolphins of Jacksonville. Earned have been the NCAA Tournament and was a starting pitcher against the University of Florida, the regional's number one seed. So, 
Good stuff there. With the AZO Reds, Stockton went 3-1 with 2.14 ERA, then moved up to Greenville early August last year, made four appearances with the G-Reds. I've never heard the Greenville Reds called the G-Reds. The Rookie Reds is one name, but there you go. With the Reds of Greenville, went 2-1, 1.96 ERA. And in those six appearances in the Red system, ERA was at 150. Six runs, 36 innings. You'll take that. I know I will. We also have J- Excuse me. Jason Parker, not Jackson Parker. Jason Parker, drafted by the Reds, 16th round last year out of NC State U. Didn't pitch professionally after signing with the Reds. Parker spent just one season after two years at the JUCO level, that's junior college. Led the team in starts in 2019 with 16 total starts, a 4.38 ERA in 76 innings. Helping the Wolfpack to its birth in the NCAA Big Dance. Was a starting pitcher in the Wolfpack's loss to East Carolina in the Greenville Regional, but showcased his skills when he beat number 1 Florida State on March 15th, firing 7 scoreless innings and striking out 10 Seminoles. Yeah, that's pretty good. With NC State, his ERA in his first 8 starts was 1.98. Over his final 8 starts, his ERA was 7.20. So, need to tap in on what made earlier happen. So, left-handed starting pitchers, you got Jacob Heverly, which would be a returning dragon from last year. Third-round pick in 2017 from Coleman High School in Alabama. Ranked by Baseball America, the 29th best prospect in Reds org. Opened the season with the Dragons last year before going on the injured list April 20th, so that would be about two weeks. And did pitch again for the remainder of the year. So... The first three starts featured some inconsistency, which, you know, he's young. He's now 21, still fairly young. First three starts. His third start was far the best. Five shutout innings against Fort Wayne to earn the W, allowing just two hits, zero walks, and struck out five. Next start, he lasted just three batters and was never able to get back on the mound thanks to that nasty injury. Tremendous prep career. Went 10-1 and with 111 ERA at Coleman High School in his senior year. Struck out 116 batters in 70 innings. Also, Baseball America honored him as a third-team high school All-American, meaning he's one of the top 15 high school pitchers in the country. MLB.com gave him the 25th best pitching prospect. So, definitely some talent there, and hopefully Heverly can rebound from that injury and the inconsistencies, but still young, so lots of hope. There, Jose Salvador, hard-throwing 20-year-old from the Dominican Republic, also big potential. Signed by the Reds in 2017 and opened his career next summer, posting very good numbers in the Dominican Summer League Club, which I don't believe the Reds have anymore. Am I thinking the Venezuela League for the Reds? I don't know, but... 12 starts, finished the 2018 season with an ERA of 1.18. Yeah, that's pretty good. Oh, by the way, the batting average against him, 155. Yeah, you're not getting a lot of hits on that. 20 walks, 72 strikeouts, 53 innings. Salvador got a little taste of rookie ball to Greenville on the Reds, a big jump in competition compared to the Arizona League. First four starts didn't go so well. ERA was 7.47. But after those four, strong the rest of the way. Produced a 3.58 ERA over his remaining seven starts, finishing with an ERA of 5.05. And then August 20th last year, moved him up to Billings. Team made the playoffs, 
Made three regular season starts with the Mustangs. Went 386 in the ERA. Salvador can take all what he's learned. Can have a big year in date. Evan Kravetz, I believe. Kravetz. Reds' fifth-round draft pick, 2019, from Rice U. Good baseball program, Rice in Texas. Also teammate of Ricky Salinas, starting pitcher for last year's Dragon Squad. Native of Miami, Florida. Was selected first-team All-Miami, Dade County, as a high school senior back in 2015. Was looking at Miami. I believe that's University of Miami, not Miami U. And Rice, they decided upon the Houston School. Also played for the Cincinnati-based Midland Redskins and the 2014 WWBA World Champions. So, some experience in the Cincinnati area. Threw a perfect inning with Greenville before being shut down for the year, which might have had something to do with the heavy workload at Rice. Again, if you're getting drafted out of college, your first year in the pros, you're really not going to have a lot to pitch from. Again, with left-handed pitching, Jacques Buchau, native of Gulfport, Mississippi, undrafted after a record-setting career at Austin P. State U last June, before briefly joining the Evansville Otters of the Frontier League. Purchased Pochu's contract June 22, 2019, and impressed in Greenville. After one year in Juco, Puchu, Chow, Puchu, Spent his remaining three years of college baseball at Austin P in the Ohio Valley Conference. Best year came as a senior in 2019, went 8-4, ERA 3.07. And that earned him first team all OVC honors. Did not, was not drafted last June, signed with Evansville. What honors have been pretty strong in independent ball. So, that's an interesting arm to look for. Relief pitchers, I'll briefly go through each name and I'll let you know who would be returning back to Dayton. Looks like a lot of right-handers in the bullpen. We'll go with the left-handers. Jerry DeAndra had mostly good moments with Dayton. And also left-hander Omar Conoropo. Right-handers are Patrick Raby, Jake Stevenson, Johnny Schneider, Ryan Dunn, Ian Cook. Tyler Garby, Tanner Cooper, J.C. Keys, Francis Baguero, Franger Aranguin, Jeffrey Nino, and Pedro Garcia. Your oldest pitchers in this relief core, you have two 25-year-olds, Ryan Dunn and Pedro Garcia. And it does talk a little bit about each of the arms. One of my big surprises is Ryan Campbell's not on here. Didn't pitch a lot with Dayton and... Two injuries kind of derailed his season out of UIC. I was really hoping he'd come back. But, I don't know. I mean, there's still a lot. Like I mentioned, this article from Dayton Dragons does not mean everyone that I name here will be part of this team. It just means, here are some names that you should look at. Again, season opens Thursday, April 9th at home against Great Lakes. And that'll be 7 o'clock. Of course, Great Lakes, single-A affiliate of the... Los Angeles Dodgers of Los Angeles. And that's what your Dragons team could look like. Once the official roster is released, we'll probably talk about it some more. But yeah, there's some talent there. And I feel like the Dragons could make the playoffs this year, which in team history in Dayton, Ohio, 
there's been more non-playoff seasons to playoff seasons. I think there's seven playoff seasons to 12, 13 seasons, something like that. Sure, that sounds about right. But let's see how Gooky Dawkins does his first year with the Dragons. I mean, he's no stranger to managing. Managed the Greenville Reds last year. But Day Air Ballpark. If you follow along social media, you saw on Dayton Dragons' Facebook and Twitter page, they're removing the fifth third field shields. I think they're still going to keep the blue and green color scheme. And they're going to have a hot air balloon. That's part of the Day Air logo. But, yeah. Can't say fifth third field anymore. Weird. Well, you can, but you'd be wrong. Or you're talking historically. And this segment has gone on an hour because I've talked about the Dragons. Excellent. But that would do it. Episode 137. Again, thank you to the three folks sending me questions from Alan's mailbag. Please send more. Anytime, anywhere, if I get a question, I'll answer it on the podcast. But that'll do it. Episode 137. Closing out. Episode 138. Hopefully, we'll get to college basketball again. And to do it this week, but again, stuff happens, yo. This is Lee W. Mound signing out. And we'll talk to you again for episode 138. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast with Lee W. Mowen. To subscribe to the podcast, please visit the leewmowen.com slash podcast. From there, you can choose your favorite platform, such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, and many more. Interact with the podcast and host on Twitter at the Lee W. Mowen and at Sunday Pod. Like the Facebook page, the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast, and download the free Flick Chat app. Then search for the local Sunday Sports Group to submit your future Mowen's Mailbag questions. The closing theme is Lights Go Down by Dan Hennig, provided by the YouTube Music Library Collection. This is Lee W. Mowen, and I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Please join me again next week on the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast.